nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast where we're recording this on the weekend of Zinedine Zidane's return. The tall, beautiful, bald man is back. Real Madrid win and with Isco, Marcelo, Bale, Asensio, Benzema involved in goals, Kaylor making freak saves. It almost felt nostalgic. Uh, joining me, me, Kian Sobani, to break down the win over Celta Vigo is our own Matt Wiltsey. Matt, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm feeling really, really good. The Zidane 2.0 era has begun. And like you said, plenty of talking points. Um, and you know what? We also got another great shout out from our advocate, Ray Hudson, live on air and a much, much deserved recognition for you, Kian. So that's just the cherry on top of everything. That was a fun moment. Kind of uh, my feed was slightly behind. And so I started my phone started blowing up like with people like, did you hear that? Like, did you hear? Did I hear what? And then, like ten <laughs> seconds after, I heard him say that. Um, I, I my intro was probably a little bit over the top. I I think I think if like any like Mari used to listen to this for the podcast for the very first time, like who are like objectively like looking at this, seems like it's just one game against Celta Vigo. They probably shut off the podcast already. But I, <laughs> but you and I were talking before the Celta game on the on in one of the midweek shows. That it's just kind of it's kind of nice to have him around, and like you can't deny there was a feel good vibe to the game against Celta. Yeah, and uh, Audrey Zola even mentioned it after the game. He talked about how there, he pretty much said what we all feel like that there's just this aura about Zidane when he enters a room and when he says something, and it's so true. Um, so there's, I mean, like I said, there's so much to talk about. I don't know where you, where do you want to start the tactics the individual performances where where do you think's best i think we start with throwing cold water on it a little bit yeah and getting that out of the way because it's better to just do that now and then talk about the good stuff um you mentioned what result even sabios himself after the game was like oh i guess the coach does make a difference <laughs> it was like basically <laughs> what he said um the context was that this was arguably the least informed team in Spain. Like, they've been freefall. You can talk about Villarreal freefall, and you can talk about Rayo losing a bunch of games despite having really good performances from Raul de Tomas and sporadically from other people that, you know, we talk about every week on the Lone Tracker. Uh, Huesca don't really get results, but they actually play well. Celta have been just awful to watch. Like, just awful. Um... And they were without Aspas. They've been without Aspas for a long time. They've been free-falling without him. They did not play well in this game, and although that should be credit to Real Madrid as well. And, you know, that the first, like, half hour, 45 minutes, while, like, I I mentioned before the game that this had a Deportivo 5-0 vibe to it, which was Zidane's first game in charge last time. I also was completely prepared that, you know, while that could happen, um, and the energy was real, like you could feel it, there's also like this chance that Isco and Marcelo aren't up to 100%. The team's problems resurface. And, you know, it just, we chalk up to this, this season as whatever and hope that Zidane can build something. And the first half hour, 45 minutes, there weren't, there was no real control in the game. The press was either non-existent or Celta could just easily dink it over them and there would be there'd be plenty of space in behind even Modric and, and Bale and that front line. The defensive sequence leading up to that miracle Kaler save was a complete mess. Um, and yet, as Zidane rightfully put it after the game, it's to be expected. Like, what did you expect, like, right off the bat? It wasn't just going to be like this, this, all this, like, oh, this unveil, like, oh, this is what we've been missing. And the team played really well in the second half. I think just like objectively speaking, though, we just take this context 
and we take this sample size, it's tiny. It's very, very small. And even the rest of the season, it's going to be a small sample size. So I just think like it's okay to be excited. It's okay to be overexcited. It's okay not to get too excited given the season. It's also okay to just be like, you know, whatever this is, it will be. It's a, an improvement, a step in the right direction. It's it's way better than what Solari had the team as. And the real the real measuring stick will be at the end of the summer. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you already mentioned some of the, some of the things that we can take away from this match, and it is it is a small small sample size, so it is good to pump the brakes a little bit. But there were so many i feel like just so many talking points and i have so many notes from this match and you, we pointed it out i mean isco got the start marcelo got the start kaylor got the start even bale um there's questions surrounding him and he, he got the start as well and i think we started out just from a tactical perspective defensively it was a 4-4-2 and i mean that's been zizu's bread and brother bed and bread and butter for so long and He's a he's a Carlo Ancelotti disciple, so that that wasn't something to not be expected. But I think what was interesting was the four two three one that we at least started out with. Um, Cruz and Modric were tasked with playing a little bit deeper, um, especially Modric with more defensive responsibilities to cover for that Casemiro absence. While Isco got his favored number ten role, um, we like you said we kind of lacked. I don't know what it was, a rhythm um, in that first half. And then once we switched to a 4-3-3 near the end of the half, and of course, and I'm sure we'll get into this once Bale and Asensio swapped flanks, things really started to uh, click up a year. So I thought that was just an interesting in-game switch right right from the start from Zidane and some of the just um, a multitude of formations we saw in the first half. I mean, it's it kind of symbolize who he is as a manager in the sense that he was a versatile tactician and he still is um it's funny like well before the flank change i thought i thought it got the best out of them offensively because bale was even on the right flank he was terrific defensively like i was surprised when you go back and you check the stats that he had three tackles it doesn't paint the 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 picture because he did so much off the ball to disrupt opponents he he pressed well. He tracked well on the rare Celtic counter. He won the ball multiple times or dispossessed them or forced a corner or forced a goal kick. So that that stat is, is almost like, while it was the most tackles of anyone on the team, which is not much, it was three. I, I could be wrong. I think it was, it was three. Um, it just it doesn't paint the whole picture. But when they switch flanks, Bale and Asensio look great. And this kind of like this thing, this drum that we've been beating for over a year now, where we ask Bale and Asensio to be alpha. Asensio looked like the Super Cup Asensio for a good good chunk of the second half, where like by the time he made that pass for the first goal, it was his third line-breaking pass of that second half, where just like either he was dribbling through a few players and getting Celta's defense to collapse a bit, um, or and, and or just playing a really nice through ball and and Isco and and Bale and Marcelo were making and Benzema were making good off ball runs in those situations too, and Bale put in a lot of dangerous balls from the left. Um, but I remember Matt before the season had started, I thought I th- really thought, and I I only remember remember this now, but it was a mailbag I did. And someone asked about the ideal lineup. And I just thought you had to find a way to put your f- best offensive players on the pitch. And the four I really wanted Lopetegui to figure out having on the field at the same time was Bale, Isco, Asensio. Uh, and who is the fourth one? Can't remember now. Benz? It was, I didn't even have Benz in there. But obviously Benz fits the bill as well. Um but if you can fail, figure out Bale, Isco, and Asensio at the pitch at the same time, then I think that that if and if everything's ticking, you solve a lot of offensive problems. I think, and I and I'm glad that Zidane brought that to fruition this game. Yeah, I mean, I I love the lineup. I thought it was a fun attacking lineup. Uh, we obviously got to see some 
faces that we haven't seen in a while. And they, I mean, I think for the most part, all those guys played <clears throat> played well. I'm sure we'll get into East Coast performance more in depth a little bit later. But one thing I want to touch on is um, with that with that lineup. I think it's interesting the role that Modric played because initially he was given a lot more defensive uh, responsibilities and he mm. he had two tackles and three interceptions and was those three interceptions were a team high with Ramos. And I thought he looked really good kind of in that deeper role, um, just tracking back. But we did see, I mean, as fun as that lineup is and once we switched to a 4-3-3 and Cruz was holding, I think we did see moments. Luckily... Um, we were able to, I mean, save our blushes, but there were moments where transition, transition defending again, we were just, we would have been absolutely annihilated on the counter. And that's where someone like Llorente and Casemiro are so important. But again, I, I, like you said, I want to see all these guys in the lineup together. So it's finding that balance and finding what the real, um, it'll be interesting to see what Zidane's consistent lineup is over the next 10 games. Yeah, I it it will be, and I and and he said after the game that because you know he and he already is getting annoying questions in the sense like you know who who did you think stood out and who, who do you think is like winning their place who do you think is, and and he said uh, look I'm not going to just after every game be like oh he played well he's going to be he's going to be kept and this guy played bad he's going to be sold I don't think he views it that way and that's what he said too. Um, now he's he's been he is probably the most diplomatic person to deal with press in a press conference. He doesn't reveal anything or say anything controversial. But it isn't. It's a fascinating question to see how that develops. And one thing that I had questioned Matt and and others had as well, other fans and maybe not questioned, but at least intrigued to see what happens is we knew how he. In a, in a way, we knew how he felt about the players he already coached. And if you look at the starting 11, every single player on that 11 is someone he had coached previously except for Audrey Zola, and that was because Carvajal wasn't available. Um, and even then, we weren't sure how he was going to just come back all of a sudden and and bring all those f- players back into the mix. And I was... I, I won't lie, I was a little bit surprised that we did see such a dramatic revert back to the Zidane era in terms of player selection because I thought maybe he would have some kind of transition. But obviously he felt like it wasn't needed and who could argue against him. But I was curious to know what of the players that played well under Solari that he never used. Uh, and we kind of got our answer in that he's not going to be closed-minded about that stuff because we got Ceballos off the bench. Um, we got Mariano off the bench. And well, Mariano is kind of not neither here nor there when you think about it because he didn't really play. He was he was in Lyon last season, and then with Solari he didn't play much anyway. And the third person was Fede Valverde, who did play a, a bunch under Solari. And I think those. I'm sure we'll get into it again later with some of the patron questions. But I think those substitutions were telling, um, especially especially the Ceballos and the Fede Valverde substitution. The Ceballos substitution tells us that Don's not holding grudges. That Don's not looking to the past. I mean, he was the first sub used. He got 20 some minutes to play, and that I mean that was significant. Ceballos got nothing under Zidane in the under his first uh, first reign. So that was encouraging to see. And then, obviously, Fede Valverde coming in was a surprise as well because that kind of tells me that Zidane's been watching. And Zidane's been watching the games and has seen that um, Fede Valverde has been a standout. And this is a talented kid. And um, I thought he played really well on top of that. There is... I mean, this is an unanswerable question right now, but there's always that question like... Vinicius and Vasquez aren't available. What I what would have changed if they were? Yeah, that's a good point. There's two those are two huge slots that Solar used. And yeah, it's it's fascinating because you look at the bench, you're like pretty much everyone got in um that you think would deserve playing time apart from Regulon, 
who I'm sure will get his minutes regardless. And I think I and I'm I'm almost I'm ninety percent certain that Regulon is not going to get lost in the shuffle all of a sudden. But but then you look at like who is missing that didn't get in and was Vasquez and Vinicius, and that that's going to be interesting to track. Um, what did you think? Because I know you did the player ratings too. Um, we talked about Bale and Asensio. Who else stood out to you? So just just some notes that I had. I mean, I thought if we kind of glance in on Odriozola's performance, I thought he had a a good game defensively. But I thought um, on the attacking side of things, we consistently found him on that weak side of, of the pitch. We overload on the left hand side. Cruz, Marcelo, Benzema, Isco all connecting, and then Cruz would make the big switch once uh, once Celta was all transitioned over to our left hand side, and Odriozola would have acres of space and I mean he always is a willing attacker and gets up there and I mean his first touch is always great but I think that final ball is just lacking and even his crosses I think if he can clearly pick out a target that would be that would be a huge element to his game he'd go from being hey the backup right back to really really challenging Carvajal for a spot he that it the the funneling the play to the left side and the switch to Odriozola and or Carvajal, whoever's there, has always been such a such a focal point of Real Madrid's play. And I always felt like we should we should be looking for those switches even more than we do. And it's not like we don't really look for it as much, but um, but I. I I do agree with you about you know kind of just polishing his offensive skill set because he has all the tools to be great. I that in the first half where there was that sequence where Marcelo does the cutback and then Isco is like spinning and then his shot is saved. Yeah. And like imagine at that moment if Marcelo assists Isco, uh, <laughs> literally I don't I don't know if the universe could cope with it. I think something would happen. Um, it turns out both Marcel and Isco were involved in goals anyway. But that sequence was all started by Odriozola um, with the terrific counter-press. Um, that Riamja loses the ball and he's pressing. He gets, he helps win the ball back. And then it goes to Benzema and then through ball to, to Marcelo. So I think he did a lot of encouraging things. And, um, you know, it, it could have also been easier tempting for Zidane to just put Nacho there at right back. But he didn't. And so, to me, this season is also not only about the rest of the season is not only about playing the players you know what you're going to get from them, but also just making sure the youngsters also get groomed because you know you're not you know you're not going to win the league. You have a real chance for second place now, by the way, because Atletico are just really a just disastrous week for them. They're like almost on Real Madrid level in terms of just a collapse uh, in the span of one week. So you you can strive for that second place mark now. So so you mentioned Odriozola. Who else did you have that you wanted to touch on? We can yeah, pretty sure. much go through them all. Yeah, we can. I think Kaylor Navas, you already talked about it, that big-time save in the first half, and that kind of set the tone. I mean, it got the crowd into it, chanting his name, Kaylor, Kaylor. And I think that just was huge. It gave him that confidence boost, and it was kind of like, hey, that's one of the big decisions that Don made, and this guy's proven uh, – Proving that he's he's worthy of the start today, and then obviously Marcelo, you mentioned him and got the assist. He was just a constant, constant outlet on the left flank, and it was the Marcelo we were just so used to seeing. Um, he just a nuisance for the Celta back line and just an attacking threat constantly. So that that was encouraging. And then one thing that I had noted was, yes, we um, in the first half especially we had a lot of crosses um, and we were kind of heavily relied upon getting the ball out wide and crossing. And I thought the game was screaming for Mariano just to get a a predator in the box. Yeah. But um, in the second half, I think we started looking more for the central, the central um, passes and Isco, Cruz and Modric all had a team high of three key passes. And I think that that stats telling it tells a story. I, I think we were much more incisive in the second half, and it came from our three central pr- players rather than the wings. And it all probably 
if you look at the XG stats, because I mentioned it, it, there was this weird thing that even though Real Madrid didn't score like five goals, six goals, or whatever, there was this feeling that there could be floodgates that would open if they score one because there yeah. was a kind of momentum building. And it did kind of feel like those old Zidane days in the sense that they can kind of just cruise and go through different gears. And if they get one, the opposing team is going to have a rough time getting back into it. And that's kind of what happened. So even though they didn't capitalize and score a bunch of goals, um, what they did do was you look at the XG and after like 60 minutes, it just spikes. And it ends at just over three three goals and then for Celta it was really small um I think it was like below 0.5 if that um it was 0.32 so apart from they had the Maxi Gomez shot that Kaylor saved Maxi Gomez had another chance in the box they really had nothing else outside of that whereas like with Real Madrid you had the two goals you had another you had one Isco header um that was like inches away and normally Sergio Ramos puts those away Bale had another right-footed shot in the box that was close Isco had another great chance with the spinning shot uh, Benzema had a great chance in the box and then beyond that there was just so many chances that Real Madrid had um, so I in the second half that that kind of tells you it tells you the XG spike will when it spikes in the 60th minute it tells you something um, you mentioned the crosses really quickly they had 27 crosses in this game. Um, and Zidane also talked about the crosses after the game. The I'm just looking it up now. This is all new new to me. I'm, I don't know the answer to this yet. I'm just looking at their average, uh, average crosses per game. This season, it was 21. So six above the, the season average. Um, at home, they averaged... Wow, they actually averaged 30 crosses per game. So it was actually below average for how many crosses a game they have at home. So it's funny, like maybe it's just something that we we just smash in our heads as Zidane crosses more, and, and maybe mm. it's not true based on that one game sample size and, the, and compared to the rest of the season. Um, but part of the reason why Zidane used crossing so much also, we have to remember, during his first tenure, was because of Cristiano Ronaldo. And it's the same reason why Juventus just hammers it in, hammers it in, hammers it in now. Granted, Mandzukic is a beast at the far post, meeting those crosses as well. Um, but, you know, they had Ronaldo and Bale last season. And if they can get Mariano into the full, which I was really excited to see his name called up because I saw him on the bench and I was like, please, let let this happen because I, I really want to see him get a proper run. Um, you know, it's... I'm not saying that you just you just cross and cross aimlessly without a clear idea or vision, but I'm also not against it as some other people are, given if you, if you do it right. Crossing is one of those things, it's actually a low probability to score in football. Um, crosses, set pieces, corners, these are actually all low probability things, and the most high probable chance of scoring is when you cut through the half spaces and you do cutbacks. But you do enough crosses you only need to score a small percentage of them to, to get on the score sheet. Yeah, and, on, and to cherry-pick that, I think you may not necessarily score off the actual cross, but the cross, the cross can deflect, it can rebound, it can mm. be kind of scattered in the box. and So you may not actually score off the actual cross, but the aftermath of that cross sometimes results um, in a goal. And I think there was a study, I'll have to try and find it, that that kind of specified that because a lot of people are pointing out to the fact that there were, hey, only a certain percentage of crosses are actually converted into goals. But then if you look at the aftermath of crosses, and um, that that's, that percentage is much, much higher. Great point. And not only that, but like the chaos that it can bring if you have a good counter-pressing system in place, that you can just do cross, win it back, yeah, cross, exactly. win it back. And just eventually the defense, just like it's like getting punched a bunch of times before the uppercut comes in. And that's one thing I wanted to point out as well. You mentioned how our, our XG just spiked from the 60th minute and on. And I think part of that is because right at that hour mark, that's when Celta are starting to feel the effects of this game and the control that Madrid had and the possession um, that they were imposing on Celta. And I think 
they started to tire out. And from the 60th minute on, that's when Real Madrid took advantage and their XG spiked. Mm. Um, did you, you didn't mention Kroos yet, did you? No, I did not. What did you think of Kroos? I thought it was a much better, much better performance from Kroos. Uh, like I did mention that he had, a, along with Isco and Modric, he had a team high of three key passes. But I thought it was more of the Kroos that we had become so accustomed to seeing. Um, and, and I think you also saw during the game, Zidane kind of pull Kroos aside, have a word with him, uh, switching the tactics. But you, he's such, he was such a key cog under Zidane. And I really don't see that changing. I mean, I think for me, Kroos is still such a vital, vital part of this team. Um, I thought Cruz was good as well. I, um, he was like a flag bearer of the crosses, actually. But also, is given that like you cross enough, your passing accuracy goes down quite a bit. He maintained a pretty high passing accuracy despite hitting eight crosses, and um, so distribution was great. Uh, and just uh, one thing I wanted to add as well. I think our one of our patrons, Christopher McCormick, uh, he made a great point a uh, point on Twitter that about our set pieces um, mm -hmm. and under Zidane we usually had a few trick plays under our set pieces and kind of execute our set there's a little bit more of a focus and I did notice that in this match and Cruz actually along with Maldrich played a really great uh, short corner kick that we nearly scored another one of those Ramos um, headers that we nearly scored off of so I think that's another kind of credit to the the Don management book uh, set pieces will probably become more of a focus. I think we we have to talk about Marcelo and Isco because they're they're two of the biggest stories in this game. Um, I thought I I thought Isco looked a little bit rusty at first. I think he probably was overall. I also was fully prepared that that would happen, and I was. I also was totally going to be excusing of it because it's understandable that he would be. But I actually thought he looked good. Um, and I would also say that the timing of his goal couldn't have been timed better because Zidane was about to take him off. So like his literally his last touch of the game, he ends that great run, great cutting run into the box off ball, uh, scores that goal, then comes off. Overall, he had his passing was really good in this game. Three key passes involved in the in the flow of the offense. Four shots, which is what you want to see from him. I thought it was an encouraging return, and he got to play kind of for the most part in that number ten role that he he loves and he thrives in. And I agree. I, I didn't think it was like an awe inspiring Isco performance, but I thought it was a good solid sixty minutes. Um, get the fitness under his belt. I mean, nothing. Nothing really gives you match fitness except for matches. No matter how much you run, no matter what you do, it's just a completely different type of fitness. So uh, he's going to have to build himself up again and get that. And I think Zidane knew after 60 minutes, he probably had that pre-planned, get Isco off. So it was a really well-timed goal. And I think if you look at the goal as well, I mean, that's, that, that's the type of run we've been lacking. And that just kind of that hunger and that desire to get to the ball first, to yeah. beat your man and get to the ball first. I mean, I don't think that can be understated because that that's not easy and that's not something that just, oh, Isco got to tap it. No, he, he that run and beating his defender, being first to the ball is huge. I mean, that's that's the difference between scoring and not scoring. No, I 100% agree. And I, that's one thing I never, like if you look at that goal, the off-ball run was fantastic, and that he gets to it is great. One thing I never bought uh, when there was an agenda against Isco was that he was lazy. I never bought it. Uh, you can call him out of shape if you want, which maybe I guess can be a byproduct of laziness if you're not in shape. But on the field, he he always put his he he always put everything out there. Like he he was always consistently one of the best pressers on the team. Worked tremendously hard off the ball ran himself into the ground. Um, this also goes with the Spanish national team. And that goal also was just like, he just he just kept running and running and, until he found his spot to get open. Yeah, and I, I think 
it was nice for us Madridistas to see him get the goal. And I think it was, on top of that, it was nice to see Marcelo get the assist that his performance deserved because, like we talked about, he was just endless attacking outlet and um, constantly providing with, constantly looking to take his man up in the final third of the pitch. And so, again, another one of those guys who was kind of outcasted by Solari who had a great, I mean, uh, Marcel had a really good game, so um, that that was encouraging to see. Um, Marcelo looked good. I I think what was like interesting that Zidane said about this after the game, he said, "Look, like it's true, Regulon and all these guys have been good, um, but we can't forget what we achieved with with players like Marcelo and Isco and kind of uh, and those players and like." These these players are really good. Like it would just they're, and I guess this and he didn't say this, but I mean this is a question we've been kind of asking ourselves a little bit this season and talking about it on the podcast was always how far removed are we from that team from the three P team? We can understand like some players are older, well, all the players are older. Um, some players might not be at their peak anymore. How far removed are we from that? And and you know, like on paper, still like this is a great team. Um, now, I just again, cold water. Sorry, got to do it. <laughs> I don't think that this performance, by any means, that there isn't big changes coming. Nor should it mean that big changes aren't coming. This team needs this team needs help. Like this team needs reinforcements. It needs it needs good signings. It needs to shed some fat. Again, I don't know who those players are. I don't even think Zidane knows who those players are at this point. He may be using this last string of games as a tryout of sorts. I I just would be very surprised if A, if this kind of like, this fairy dust continues until the end of the season. It might. Real Madrid might like win every game until the end of the season and that would be great. Um, But they, they may also struggle. They may regress to the mean. There may be, you know, people upset. Again, I think this is this is kind of just maybe Zidane gauging. Right. Yeah, and I yeah, yeah. I think too what we've been these were there were moments, there were flashes in this game, and what we've been screaming for all season is consistency, consistency, and like the performance of Bale and Asensio. That's what we've been. That's what we thought we were going to get this year. And that's what we thought we, we saw in preseason um, a little bit at the start of the year. And then it just completely dropped off and they lost their confidence. And who knows? I mean, it just there was no consistency. And it was finally, finally, we saw the Marco Asensio we've been dying to see. Finally, we saw Gareth Bale putting in tackles, slide tackles in his own 18. I mean, tracking all the way back and then bombing up the left flank and putting in great crosses. I mean. That's that's what we've been dying to see, and now hopefully, I mean, there's only ten games remaining. So again, it like you said, it's a small sample size, but hopefully we can see that consistency. But I do think um, Zidane kind of alluded to it after the game that, hey, yeah, he picked Kaylor today, but Courtois will will likely get some minutes. Yeah, he picked Marcelo today, but Regulon's probably going to rotate right right in there as well. So he kind of alluded to that after the game. So. We may not see a, a, this same lineup for the next ten games. That that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because I was gonna bring it up at this, at some point. Might as well do it now. Zidane's team selection never was an indicator of. It was never foreshadowing anything. Like it never told us anything about what's going to happen next, which is great if you're because if you're an opposing manager, you have no idea what to plan for. At the same time, we also like as fans, as like as journalists or whatever. It was so hard to predict what he would do, and just because a ex player has a great game one 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 day, we could maybe not see him again for like three four games. So, uh, and also like this idea that he he puts them all in their best position to play. I also question because while what I really enjoyed about Bale's performance, for example, this game, was that he was playing his best position. He was playing as a two-way winger because he's best when he's helping defensively. He's best when he... The more he helps defensively, the more involved he feels 
the more he takes on players, the more he puts in dangerous crosses and shoots. That's the best version of him. We also saw him under Zidane as a striker last season for a string of games where he was so isolated and so uninvolved and cold that he just he kind of was a ghost for a lot of it. And like he was like a striker in a 4-4-2. And in theory, that makes sense because you play him on the shoulder of a high line, but not all teams play high against you. And so, you know, when you're kind of just expecting him to be this target man, to just jump up and up and down the box, the penalty spot, it doesn't really necessarily get the best out of him. So we also, again, I hope I'm wrong. And I hope, like, you know, maybe a little bit more cold water. Do we see Bale and, his, and Asensio in their best positions again? I mean, it's, it's a question. I think it's a question worth asking. Yeah, well, I think it was telling that at the start of the second half, Asensio was still on the right flank and Bale was still on the left flank, and they pretty much stayed like that for the rest of the game. And Bale played the full 90, which was kind of surprising to me. Usually he does come off in the second half at some point. Yeah, and I, I mean, we saw it from, we saw some quotes from his agent uh, during the midweek, and I thought it was, there were some interesting tidbits from there. I think two of them was that Zidane used to play him, or, and I'm not sure whether he thinks that, what I'm not sure what Bale thinks is his best role because he said that Zidane uh, asked him to play one way and he felt like he should play another. So I don't know. I mean, during the tail end of the season, we saw Bale kind of – sometimes we saw him in that striker role, like you said, but sometimes we saw him in a deeper midfield role um, in, in that two-way winger role. But then the other thing he said was oh, – my mind just was like – but uh, – yeah, I mean, well, I guess you, you can build off that until I can remember what. Well, if thing. you ask him, he wants to be a ten, which uh, yeah, he briefly got under Benitez, and actually, he actually looked really good under Benitez. He was like the one guy who was playing well under him. Um, but you know, if if Isco and if Isco isn't going to get that number ten role consistently, no way Bale is. But I think you know, and I remember doing a deep dive on this last season, writing an article about it, and going back and checking the stats and watching film. His, you know, you'd put him up there as a striker and expect him to be good offensively, but he was actually much better offensively when he when he played as a winger. So you compared him his stats as a winger, he scored more goals as a winger than as a striker. This is like a 10, 11 game sample size of each position last season. At the time I had written the article, eleven games as a striker, uh, eleven games as a winger. All of his goals came as a winger. Um, and all of his stats across the board were better as a winger. And that's just because that's, that's who he is. You don't just put someone up front and expect them to have better stats or score more just, be, just because you put them up there. So that I think that was basically the biggest, the most eye-opening thing to me. It wasn't just like we weren't just going crazy over the eye test. Like, no, he's just actually better as a winger than he is as a striker. Um, I, something tells me that one of the changes we'll see is that Real Madrid will get a striker so that you don't have to really make these decisions too hard on yourself. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, anything else before we take questions? Um, let me just take a look at my notes, make sure we hit everything. I think the only other note that I have, which um, was interesting, and it's, again, kind of points back to Zidane's first time in charge, is if you look at the positional report after the match, we were very much focused, very much focused our game down the left flank, just like we did in the previous Adon era. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Marcelo Cruz connection, Isco and Benzema like to drift out there as well. I think that's just such a big part of our game. And um, it, I thought because when you have those guys clicking, especially Marcelo, it, it makes a big difference. Um, I'm just going through my notes really quickly. I think you covered it all. Um, and anything we didn't cover will probably come through uh, in the questions. Okay, so patreon.com slash managingmadrid is where you go to pledge. You get different rewards. You get access to our bonus shows. You get access to um, our loan tracker show, which Matt and I record every Tuesday to review the players on loan. And again, this Tuesday, we'll have a lot to talk about because um, because Odegaard had another great, great game. 
and there's a lot to talk about. And Kovacic, who didn't play, we're going to probably spend a lot of time talking about again and and a bunch of other things. And so that's every Tuesday. That's only for patrons. And then we do our midweek shows for our patrons only. So any any match coverage, any mailbags, that's, those are also only on patreon.com slash managingmadrid. And I just want to give a quick shout-out to our $10 plus patrons because uh, one of your awards, if you pledge $10 or more, is you get a specific shout-out on the podcast. So shout-out to these $10 plus patrons. Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefane, Adam Dorsey, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Nicole Gant, Sergio Monleon, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sad Omar, Sheikh Atiri, Oluwapamimo, Oladunjoy, Christian Toff, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Tyler Dixon, Raghav Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Pena Maridisa, San Francisco Bay Area, Catherine Fagundo, Vinod Baratula, Zoran Bosnchich, Sway Ayala, Crystal Glass, Rafael Servia, Umair Mahadi, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, Daniel Smith, Brennan Powers. That list gets longer and longer. But wow. thank you so much, guys. Appreciate all thank of you. Thank you, guys. First patron question is from Brennan Powers. He says, nice to see Zizu give Sabayo some minutes. I want to see how Zizou deploys the players who didn't play as much during his first tenure or the players who weren't here during that time. I can't wait till Zidane changes the team in his image and liking. Great game from the team all around, fluid and all. Marcelo really is dynamic and maybe something we did miss over the past few months. Regulon has been unbelievable this season, but Marcelo's ability in the final third is unmatched. Anything on, on this you want to touch on, Matt? Well, we uh, we talked about how that Ceballos substitution was telling, and I think Zidane, after the match, was asked about Ceballos, and he said, hey, we all know the, the technical quality Ceballos has on the ball, but I thought he did a great job defensively as well. And um, it was just good to... And Ceballos had words praising Zidane after the match, so it was just good to see that that relationship is there and that, hey... Tobias may not be a dead man walking after all. There may still be a, a role for him now and in the future. Well, Zidane loves Isco. We know this. I feel like because he likes Isco, he should like Sabios in theory. Because Sabios, while he's not stylistically the perfect parallel to Isco, he's similar in a lot of ways. He, a, he works unbelievably hard. He has great IQ off the ball. He's a relentless presser and hounder. He plays plays really like visionary defense splitting passes when he's on his game. Able to hold the ball and keep possession. He's a good distributor. Tenacious. If he wants to play at Isco in his team and he wants like a direct backup um, for when Isco's not fit or suspended or injured or wants to be rotated or whatever, I think Ceballos fits the bill in that in that Isco image. Sheikh Atiri says, uh, I don't know what God's magic is, and by God I mean Zizou, but he really imposes energy, confidence, and spirit on the team. This is a small sample size, of course, but the team had three improvements. One, the players played with confidence. Unlike the previous games, they were not impatient with the ball. They used to give up the ball without taking any risks before because of their impatience, but today they lacked with confidence. They played with confidence. Two, the team has a spirit in it and played cheerfully. They had a high morale. Three, flops of the season, especially Asensio, Bale, and Marcelo, play like the superstars that they are. On a different note, I've noticed that Odrio Zulu loses all his physical battles. He gets on the ground with a light push. Do you think that he needs to gain some more muscle mass? Finally, I really hope God gives some, start, gives some starting playing time to Mariano and Vallejo. I was sad to see the latter not even the squad. P.S. Keon, congrats on being recognized by Ray. I screamed. Um, the the Odrio Zola point is something that maybe stands out a little bit. Do you, I, I feel like you would have some insight on this. Well, I think part of it, at least from the attacking front, when he's making those lung-busting runs down the right flank, he's moving at such speed. And we all know how fast he is that 
if the slightest little touch is going to knock you over just because you're going that fast and it's it's almost impossible not to fall over but i think in terms of just 1v1 physical duels defensively i, I don't know that i have noticed really that he loses those duels as much um but I don't think there's any harm in him filling out just a little bit. But, again, you don't want him to lose that speed because it's such a crucial asset to his game. I could, I can see the point about offensively getting knocked over. Defensively, you're right. I'm, you know, but offensively, I think there's been times this season for sure where he looks like he's just he gets a bit leg heavy at the end of his run maybe. I don't know if that's the best way to word it, but like he – that little last push or shoulder feint to get past his defender sometimes yeah. just fails him a little bit. Well, I think because uh, we talked about it on the loan tracker as well. I mean, Teo, a player who's got a, a tool, his speed is his, one of his main tools. He's the one of the most fouled players in La Liga. And I think, again, it's because you're going at such speed and then the slightest little touch when it, no- it knocks you over. Uh, Brennan Powers has another question. He says, it's a bit long-winded, but uh, just to kind of piece it together. Thoughts on if we bring a striker like Icardi in, switching to a 4-4-2 or 4-4-2 diamond. We saw Zizou experiment with these formations in the past and get great results against PSG. He used a straight 4-4-2 with Asensio and Vasquez on the wings. Um, but with a diamond, you could accompany the likes of Isco, Benzema, and let's say Icardi. Um and if Kovacic comes back, he, he, he's he been great in a double pivot. That's definitely true. What are your thoughts on this and also possibility of bringing in Hazard in a front two? Um, he could make a great two-striker partnership with, um, well, with whoever. And But Brennan also says Vinicius Benzema could also play up front. A lot of like, I mean, I... This is a lot of with when it comes to certain things like transfers and things like that. It's I always find those those questions like almost unanswerable. But I I guess you could play on the fact that you assume that Real Madrid does buy a striker, which I which I I don't I don't know if I necessarily see Hazard in there. But it's true also that Hazard and Vinicius are are very much playing in the same position if they. If they if they do end up being on the same team as each other, do you have any anything you want to add to this discussion? Yeah, I just have a couple thoughts. Um, well, if we're if we're saying a striker like Acardi, so I think if you switch to a four four two, it it could work, but you got to make sure you have that dynamism on the wing because Acardi and Benzema aren't they're not going to be guys that are beaten the back line for pace. So I think you got to have that dynamism from the wing and even maybe from a central midfield position, that guy that can come through and make the late runs, like a Rakitic, how Mourinho pointed that out. I think that would kind of need a shift in personnel. But in terms of a 4-4-2 diamond, I, I don't know if it works with Akari and Benzema again because you're, you're probably, if you're playing a 4-4-2 diamond, you're going with four central midfielders to control the game. And then you don't ever have that one person who can, with a Cardi and Benzema, who can kind of slip in behind. But I do think, let's say we played the same formation we did um, in this match and even starting out in a 4-2-3-1, I think Benzema could very easily drop into that number 10 role that Isco is playing and have a Cardi kind of be your target number nine. I think you also like 4-4-2s, especially modern day 4-4-2s, the two people up front, one of them is probably going to play a bit deeper than the other. So it almost kind of morphs into like a 4-1-1 four, four, one, one of sorts usually. Um, whereas like it's not so rigid where you have two people up top waiting for the right. ball and waiting for crosses. And depending on your scheme, is it a counterattacking scheme? Is it possession-based? It, it can kind of look a little bit different like with the ball or without the ball. But you imagine that someone like if you had a 4-4-2 four, four, with Hazard up top, it would probably be Hazard just dropping in as a 10 or um or or cutting in from the left a lot so it's um so it's hard to say i'm still you know i'm still i'm still really curious to see how this summer unfolds um goes without saying a couple other questions frederick rantakiro says first of all i want to thank you for the mega midweek podcast it was great stuff much appreciated 
Question. So is it a must to have the same haircut as Zidane if you are to be a part of his coaching team? Or do you think his assistants shave their heads as an homage to the almighty Zizou? Great question. (laughs) I actually think that this question, there was a question about his coaching staff in a mailbag last year. And I pretty much deflected everything. from. I just quickly listed who was on the coaching staff. I was like, how has no one ever talked about how the entire coaching staff is literally Zidane? <laughs> <laughs> I think like Luis Lopez, Yopis, is, uh, the goalkeeper. Yeah, he is not bald, but he has he's balding. Thinning hair, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even Pintus. Even Pintus, yeah. Yeah. Even Pintus. Uh, obviously, David Betoni is the, the most famous one. He's clearly <laughs> yeah. just as shorter as Zidane. Yeah. Uh, Zidane, mini me. There's a, there's a new press guy who sits next to the coach. I mean, I don't know who was sitting next to him yesterday because I didn't actually watch the press conference. I only read the quotes after. Um, but there's actually a, a new press guy this season who literally is Zidane, too. Like, the guy who sits next to the coach in the press conference and and kind of controls the questions coming in and who gets to ask and who doesn't. The new guy this year who gets some games and sometimes it's another guy named Juan, he looks exactly like Zidane. So if I find find a picture, I'll I'll send it to you or I'll post it and you can know what I'm talking about. Or just watch the press conference after the game. You know what I'm talking about. It's hilarious. So I'm really curious to know what it looked like with those two sitting next to each other. Um, Last more of a comment than a question, just something we wanted to, to, to plug for our friend of the show. Christopher McCormick says, Hey, peeps, as Gabe shamelessly plugged my blog in the last pod, I'm going to shamelessly plug, it a, li- plug a link to it here. I've done two articles already and have included the articles I've written elsewhere about Real Madrid's history. I'd be happy to hear your feedback slash ideas if you have any. Here is the link, uh, and so it's on his medium, so if you want to see it, go on Christopher's Twitter or... Just go on Patreon, and he's posted it there. You can go on the Patreon Managing Madrid page, and he's posted it there. Uh, thanks to Gabe for support, and thanks to Managing Madrid for just being a great bunch of guys. This is an excellent site, and I'm proud to be able to support it through Patreon. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Christopher. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your support. Um, do we have anything to, to mention before we wrap it up? Anything else that lingers in your notes, Matt? No, I, I don't think so. Okay. Um, so Matt and I will be back on Tuesday morning to discuss the players on loan and take any other patron questions that may came, might come in that uh, that we'll have time to take. Please send them over to patreon.com slash managingmadrid for access to the show, but also to, to get your questions in for that show. And then we'll probably do, be doing... If Real Madrid has... Does Real Madrid have a midweek game next week? Or is that... Uh, let me just do a quick check. No, no game until Wesco on Sunday. So we'll probably do another mailbag on the show next week for our midweek show. Probably Thursday, I imagine. So if you want access to that again, patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge. Matt Wiltsey, thank you so much for joining me tonight. And Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid.